You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 257 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I hear you're cleaning your house today. <laughs> no, you've, just, you've just given away all our secrets that we talk before we start pressing record, Val. People are going to know that there's stuff, that this is just yes. the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> yes, that's right. I don't think they'd be yes, that interested that in the rest of our conversation. <laughs> you've revealed my procrastinating cleaning um, mm. tendencies. I, I have been cleaning my house, excitedly cleaning my house. Not really. Cool. I'm getting visitors. <laughs> I have to have visitors on a regular basis just to ensure that my house does get a thorough deep clean, you know, regularly. Yes, yes. Well, good on you. <laughs> I know. I, know. I hate it's cleaning. Exciting. Yeah, no, so do I. I don't think anyone likes it, do they? Are there people out there that like cleaning? If you like cleaning, please share in the Facebook group or come around and do it at my house. Yes, that's right. Alison needs some help. <laughs> All right. Well, I won't be cleaning today. I just need to cross off a bunch of things on my to-do list. I probably do need to clean though because if you looked at the pile of rubbish behind me, um, mm. I, I'm going to play pick up, put down. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. What's pick up, I, put down? What, you pick something up and put it down somewhere else? I don't think that's going to help. No, in its place. That's my game that I play with myself. Like I'll go, okay, 20 minutes, pick up, put down now. That's how I get tidy. <laughs> I do it in the Honest, office too. Honestly? Really? Yeah. That's yeah, what you do? Why not? Yeah, what, what, why not? What's wrong with that? Nothing. I think that's brilliant. It's my own game. I invented it myself. What do you I play it what with myself? You, I can tell. What, what do you do if there isn't a place for it though? Does it just go There's in the bin straight away? There's a place for everything, Al. There's not a place for everything. Honestly, the amount of – I mean, I just – there's not, okay? The amount of stuff that comes into this house that has nothing to do with me and then I sit here looking at piles of it just going, mm. I have no idea what to even do with this. But can we also just talk about this? Last week – let's have a yeah. moment. Okay. Last week I went out because if there's one thing that anyone who lives in a house with children knows, mm. it is that you will never have a pen when you need one, right? Oh, yep. Mm -hmm. Pen and scissors. There's something about these mm. things that just – apparently they vanished magically into thin air. So sure. I went out last week and I thought I am going to solve this problem for myself and I bought mm -hmm. myself 20 black pens, 20 of them, mm -hmm. right? And I brought them home and I put them in a shiny tin on my desk and mm -hmm. I admired their glory and mm -hmm. I thought, right, I'm good to go. Like I've, this is it. Like there's no way that they can use 20 pens, right? Yeah. One week ago. Today I sit here and I'm sending out, I've got a, I'm signing a copy of the book of answers ready to send mm -hmm. off to somebody and mm -hmm. I reach for my shiny tin, I reach, I reach and mm -hmm. there is not a single, not no. a single black pen in my shiny tin. 
Not oh one. Oh, my God. Are they eating them? Oh, my God. How's that even possible? I don't know. And it's oh. not like that. And this is not pick up, put down. It's not like they've appeared <laughs> elsewhere in the house. I haven't seen them anywhere. It's just like oh. they've magically all got up overnight and walked off on me. They've gone That's on strike. They're like, you know really what? Really bad. This anymore. I know. Really annoy me. Ooh. Well, you know, welcome to my life. I just, you yeah. can, you, I could pick up, put down till the cows come home. And, and every time I turn around, whatever I put down would be somewhere else. So I just don't yes. even, that hence, I have visitors so that I have to do it all at once. Yeah, right. Well, I, I totally relate to the scissors because I swear I buy scissors every second week because I can never find the scissors. And I seem to need a lot of scissors because when I have you have as many pets as I do and stuff gets caught in their hair and stuff, you need scissors everywhere. And, yeah, you're right. So the mystery of the vanishing scissors, they probably go where the socks go. They do. I think they're all somewhere together partying on forevermore. Mm. Pens, socks, scissors. Yes. All right. Well, anyway, let's move on to uh, the world of writing and publishing instead of the world of mundane domesticity <laughs> this week. <laughs> and, uh, we are so on fire today, aren't we? It's so on fire. Oh, boy. But you're all settling in for a very exciting ride. <laughs> <laughs> so, in fact, you – had uh, you wrote a really cool post this week on how to know when your story is finished. So, yeah, what inspired you to write that one and how do you know when a story is finished, hey, Al? Well, what inspired me to write it was a workshop with year 9, 10, 11 students when I went to the Burdekin Readers and Writers Festival recently. So, Friday, I think we talked about this, Friday afternoon, last session of the day, hot mm. as you know, and this very, very nice young man, very in earnest, he was a year 11 student who had uh, chosen to come to this workshop because he was very keen. And um, he asked me at the, when I was doing my Q&A session at the end, he asked me, how do you know when a story is finished? Now, at the time, I was so kind of in a zone of the things I'd been talking about in the workshop, which was structure, getting to the end, bloody, bloody, blah, that I sort of like, I focused on that. I focused on, you know, reading a lot so that you understand innate structure and knowing that you've, you know, that you've hit the climax and that you're nearly, you know, I, anyway, I had this great answer. And then I, I walked away from the workshop later as I was, you know, having my soothing beer at the, um, at the, because I needed a soothing beer by that point yes. at the um, at the Spanish themed literary dinner that I was on at, and I realised mm-hmm. that I hadn't answered his question at all. That that's not what he was asking me. He was not asking okay. me how to get to the end. He was asking me how to let go of the story, and I missed oh. it completely. And so I decided it bothered me because you know me, I like to I like to get things right. Yes, so yes. I decided that the best thing for me to do would be for me to write him a blog post and not only write him a blog post but ask all my friends mm, <laughs> to course. assist me to assist me with said blog post. So I asked 11 authors, 11 because, wow. you know, I'm not boring with a 12 or anything like or a 10, um, to tell me how they know when a story is finished. And I put that into a blog post and I sent the link 
to his teacher and said, please pass this to the nice young man with the ponytail because I think this actually mm. answers the question that he asked me. She probably thinks I'm mad, but that's mm. okay. I, I feel better now. But um, because it, it's actually a very, very good question. Like it's yes. a really good question. Um, and it was one that I had to think about. So anyway, I asked a whole bunch of authors and basically, um, you know, beyond the ones who like me were like, Yes, you know when it you know when it's finished when you're three days past the deadline and you finally hit you know the end, you know mm. your story is finished. So mm. I got a few responses like that, but I didn't put those in. But mm. um, you know, most of them, like Natasha Lester says, uh, she, we, her latest book is The Paris Seamstress, and she said, you know, it's never finished. You know, she's just mm. reread The Paris Seamstress for what she describes as the 110 billionth time mm-hmm. um, because she had to proofread it for the US market. So it had been published in Australia. It had gone through the whole editing process here. Then, you know, to, um, to go into the US market, there was a whole bunch of other edits she had to do. So there's another proofread. And, you know, she's still making changes because mm. you can always make changes. You can always, always, always keep working on something. Um, but... You know, she said basically at the end of the day, if you can say hand on your heart that you have done everything possible to make it the best possible work it can be, then it's finished um, for now sort of thing. Um, And so Jack Heath is another author who um, we've actually uh, also interviewed Jack on the podcast. Um, his response was that you know you finish the plot when the reader can guess the rest. So he mm. he's allowing room in his manuscript for the reader all the time. Um, and he says, you know you finish the first draft when you can't think of any other things to change and you can't stand the thought <laughs> of looking at it again. Um, but then you have to read it at least four more times to implement everyone else's suggestions and that's when the book is finished. So um, this theme also mm. of other people's involvement come, came up over and over and over with read, um, with authors as well. Um, this idea that, you know, giving it to someone else so that the, you can get the feedback, whether that be an editor, whether that be a beta reader, and then taking on board the or, or not or discarding the kinds of things that they say. Because um, it's very, very difficult to decide something is finished when it's just you you really mm. actually do need someone else's perspective on it. I think I yeah. think that's really important. I mean, Pamela yeah. Freeman says basically that she knows it's finished when the characters and plots don't bug her while she's waiting <laughs> in line or at the traffic lights. If her mind has disengaged and the book doesn't appear in it anymore, mm. then she thinks the book is actually finished. So, look, it's, it was a really interesting exercise because it is a very difficult question to uh, to answer. It is a very difficult question to answer. I think what's also interesting is their interpretation of the question because Natasha Lester seems to have more answered the question, how do you know when your manuscript is finished as opposed Mm. to how do you know when your story is finished? We're two very different things. Mm. So I think that it's interesting how some of them interpreted it as, you know, how do you know when you finished writing as opposed to when your actual story is finished, you know, because because mm. some stories have have a very clear ending, and you just know they're finished. But that doesn't necessarily mean you've you've finished writing, because the as Natasha says, there's an endless stream of editing, and as as um, Jack says, there's you know you got to incorporate all uh, all the things that other people say as well. So mm. yeah, because mm. I think that there are some stories that you just know. I mean. There's like it's not even a question. It's like you just know that is the natural ending for that story. But obviously 
you know. Yeah, but in this particular case, I'm not necessarily talking about the net because that's what I answered. That when he asked me that question, that's what I answered. Mm. I talked about right. the natural ending of the story. That's what I answered. But I don't think that's what he was asking me. And I use the word story, right. um, whereas most most authors will always respond to that question when, with regards, particularly this crew that I'm talking to here. Like I'm, yes, I'm yes. talking to, you know, Alan Baxter, Ian Irvine, Jackie Harvey, Chrissy Kneen, you know, Pamela yes. Freeman. I'm talking Very to people who write books. Yeah. Lots of experience. So they think in books, you know. So to yes. them it's always going to be when's the book finished. And it, mm. it really was more that sense I think of him asking me how do you know it's time to let go of it because you Mm. you can keep right even if you get to the end of a story and it's a natural end of a story Mm. you can keep writing that story forevermore Mm. because you Mm. can go back and change sentences and move things around and delete scenes and put scenes in you might have got to the end of it but that doesn't mean that the you know 2,000 5,000 10,000 50,000 words that are actually contained in that first draft or whatever are not going to be reworked and reworked and reworked so it was more that sense of how do I know when I to let go of this thing so that you know because it's never going to be perfect never is it going to be perfect. Do you feel compelled as Natasha says when she's you know, redoing her, she's revised it again. Um, do you feel compelled to revise the Mapmaker Chronicles when it, you're you're going to get published in the US or whatever? No, because I haven't had that process of being edited. I have not had to re-edit my manuscript. I haven't been in that situation. My manuscript has basically, like the the pub, my publisher in the US has essentially taken exactly what is in my Australian editions. I have not had to re-edit mm. for a different edition. So it's a different experience. Like if you it depend and it very much depends on on how your book is sold, you know, into different publishers, whether or not they think um, if you write a very Australian book, you will often find that you have to do a lot of editing work for a for a different market. It's just a language thing. You know, it's just yeah. a different languages, different, different humor, etc. Um, but in my in my case, and I think it's because my worlds are fantasy um, mm. and are not, it's, they're not set, you know, anywhere in particular. I think it's um, for that reason that my books have, be, have been able to be transferred directly across. Whereas obviously when Natasha has done her, um, the Paris Seamstress, mm. it, she has had a new publisher in the US and a new editor who have you know, made some mm. changes that she has then had to implement. So I think it just mm. very much depends on what the process is with your particular publisher or your particular um, contract. Yeah, sure, fair enough. All right, let's move on to um, a cool poetry prize that uh, is on. And um, neither of us actually write poetry. Well, not poetry. I don't write poetry that's published anyway. <laughs> no. I write poetry for myself, <laughs> just funny poetry for myself. Um, uh, but <laughs> it never sees the light of day because <laughs> that's um, probably for the best, right? That's probably for the best. It's, well, it makes me laugh anyway. Um, but the Moth Poetry Prize for 2018 is you get to win 10,000 euros for an unpublished poem. And even though we've said euros, it's open to people all over the world and it closes on the 31st of December and that is The Moth Magazine. And that is a pretty good prize, 10,000 euros, right? It is. If I thought for one minute that I was in for it with a chance with any Mm. poetry that I have ever, ever written, which is – really not going to happen I would uh, I would enter because I think that's a I mean that's a huge like 10,000 euros for one poem 
is yeah. a fairly impressive, uh, and it's an impressive prize. And the Moth Magazine is a quarterly, um, uh, international quarterly arts and literature magazine based in Ireland. So um, yeah. it's, you know, if you write poetry, I don't think that you have anything to lose by having a go at this. Yeah, for sure. And we'll put the link in the show notes, of course, which you can find at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. Now, let's move on to our competition for this week. We have 10 double passes to a new film, The Old Man and the Gun, to give away. Inspired by a true story, it follows Forrest Tucker, who's played by Robert Redford, a career robber from the age of 14 who broke out of prison 17 times. The film opens on his 17th successful escape at the age of 70. Tucker and his crew continue an unprecedented string of bank robberies that confound the authorities and enchant the public. Wrapped up in the pursuit are Detective John Hunt, played by Casey Affleck, who becomes captivated with Forrest's commitment to his craft and a woman named Jewel who uh, is played by Sissy Spacek who the charming forest meets and falls for. So if you would like uh, your chance to win one of 10 double passes, then just go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 12th of November. That's writerscentre.com.au slash win. Now, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? <sighs> I'm so ready, Val. So ready. Okay. So. so tell me if you have used or heard of this word. So I uh, was watching Jack Ryan, the television series starring John Krasinski and, interestingly, Abby Cornish. You know the Australian actress, Abby mm-hmm. Cornish? I do. She plays his love interest. Um, I was watching Jack Ryan and they used this word, Demarche, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. D-E-M-A-R-C-H-E, Demarche. Mm. Have you use this word or know this word? No. Okay. So Jack. (laughs) (laughs) Frankly, no. (laughs) Well, quite possibly because you are not a CIA agent. Oh, that would be um, Or an international spy or part of a terrorist cell. Hmm. So Jack wanted his boss to issue a demarche to freeze the accounts of a suspected terrorist. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So that's why I looked it up. And uh, according to the Macquarie Dictionary, a demarche is a diplomatic representation made to a foreign government. So basically Jack wanted his boss to, to appeal to the foreign government saying you've got to issue, freeze this guy's assets so because he's, you know, a terrorist suspect and he could be plotting some bad thing. So, mm. yeah, Dimash, there you go. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that. You might use it one day. You might have, a, you know, have a Am plot I? point in one of your books that you'll remember and you'll go, I know that word. I know that I know. word. I'll have to explain what that is, though, to everyone who's <laughs> reading the book. No, you can get it through context, remember? Mm. show don't tell no need for the Mm. exposition all right who is our writer in residence this week oh this week I had the pleasure of speaking to the charming Karen Foxley and Karen is uh one of those people who uh everything if she has written seems to have been up for and won awards and done amazing things and her latest book which is called Lenny's Book of Everything is one of those books that has just a huge amount of hype around it. There was a seven-way auction for the manuscript for this 
uh, particular book. And um, it's one of those books that I think is going to, again, sweep awards all around the world. Um, now, you might remember, I can't remember if it was a, the last episode or a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about first drafts and we were talking about puddles of words. I was saying I'd interviewed the author who was talking about how her first drafts were like a puddle. Um, mm-hmm. Well, Karen Foxley was that author. And we have a very uh, excellent conversation regarding her writing process and how she manages to draw these magical threads through these stories that she writes when she begins with what she literally describes as a puddle of words. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Karen Foxley has won numerous awards for her novels for adults and children, including the Dobby Award, the Commonwealth Writers' Prize for Best First Book, the Readings Children's Fiction Prize, and more. Her fifth novel, Lenny's Book of Everything, was recently published by Alan and Amwin in Australia after a fiercely competitive auction and will be available in the US and the UK in the near future. Welcome to the program, Karen. Hi, Alison. <laughs> Lovely to be here. All right, so I'm going to take you way back into the mists of time to the mm-hmm. um, publication of your first novel, Anatomy of Wings, which mm-hmm. was published in 2007. Can you tell us how that book came to be published? Like what was your journey towards being a first-time published author? Uh, that's a great question. I think my journey started a long, long time before that. Mm-hmm. It started when I was a kid. So I can remember the first story that I ever wrote when I was in grade two and really from that point on, I never stopped writing stories and I always had this dream that I wanted to be a writer, that I wanted to to write write stories, to write books. Um, By the time I was in my late teens though and into my uh, 20s, I just really struggled to finish anything. I became a terrible perfectionist and could never, ever finish anything that I started. I'd write the same page over and over again a million times. And it was in my 20s that I started to write The Anatomy of Wings. So probably around 23, 24. And I just, yeah, I think I wrote the first page of that novel for about five years. And then I decided... (laughs) I really, really wanted to learn how, you know, how to finish it. So I went, started going to little courses at the Queensland Writers Centre and I uh, I went back to university when I was in my 30s and did a, a major in creative writing. And um, I think while I was doing that, I, I actually finished a short story. That was the first thing I finished in about a decade and it was part of what would become then the anatomy of wings. So the writing of the anatomy of wings, you know, I, you know, I wanted to be a published author, but more than anything, I just wanted to, I had this story inside me and I wanted to, to finish it was my aim and so to actually get it out of me. Paralyzed by mm. perfectionism. I was. And also by a strange fear, which I've gotten so much better at of, of not really, of being terrified by, <laughs> this will sound strange, but the mysterious nature of writing and just by creativity, I think. And I always thought, because I didn't know everything about the story, I felt that I couldn't write it, whereas what I had to do was just start to write. 
And uh, so that that really going going back to university, going to courses, that really helped me. And I learned so much about just turning up and writing anything to get started wow. and not being so hard on myself, yeah. So what was the process yeah. then for Anatomy of Wings? You wrote the – you had obviously the perfect first page because you'd worked on that for five years yeah. and then you worked on this – you wrote the short years. story. Yeah. How did you then And then that short the story finished? was a – so that short story was a scene within the book. And then I uh, I remember just playing around with all – just letting myself go and playing, myself, uh, playing around with lots of different voices. And it was one morning that I sat down and the voice of Jenny Day, the narrator, came to me and I thought, oh, this feels good. I, you know, I quite like this. And – uh, I started to write a lot of about what I what might have happened, and it really was such a huge congealed mess of what might have happened, uh, different scenes. You know, it was like a puzzle that you know I felt like I would never be able to solve. But um, eventually, draft after draft, I kind of chipped it into into place and into shape and I can remember so when it was actually published and there was sort of you know it won awards and there was um, you know people said such beautiful things about it and I can remember thinking but you don't you know I felt sort of I couldn't I you know I felt that it had been such a messy experience <laughs> of getting it out of me um, but yeah I've gotten much better much better at just Relaxing in that first, in those first stages of writing because I'm not a planner at all. Okay, well, I want to talk to you about that. Finding my way into a story. Yeah, I'm fascinated by that though. So you kind of like mm. you're you're saying you basically had a puddle of words of all different bits and pieces, and you had to so nothing yeah. linear about that first draft or no, wow. no, nothing at all. And I can remember uh, trying to. I, I had all these bits of paper that I cut out of things that happened that I thought happened in the story and it made kind of like this constellation across my living room floor <laughs> and and I remember just thinking it would help me but then I looked at it and just I remember just getting up walking into my bedroom and just flopping face first on the bed and crying because I thought well that didn't help at all and it took me hours <laughs> so it's really through the through the writing that I for some reason, if I think about it too much, I can't get anywhere. But if, if I just go back draft by draft, things change in stories and it all eventually kind of seeps into place somehow. So how how did you go from that puddle of words to the book actually mm. becoming published? Did you have an agent? Did you? I mean, at what stage did oh, you yeah. go, I've okay. got a manuscript here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so in that... In the last year of my university course, we had like a mentorship program and I worked with a wonderful author called Stephen Lang here in Queensland and I, I it was, you know, I just started to show him parts and he was really, really encouraging. Then I, then I finished my course and I went away and I heard about the Queen, it was then the Queensland Premier's Literary Awards and they had an unpublished manuscript uh, section. So I think that was about 2000 and 
five and I knew that it wasn't ready so I waited another year and kept working on it and then in 2006 I entered it in that and it was chosen so as the winner and part of that was a publishing contract with uh, University of Queensland Press. Wow. So I had entered it just hoping that someone would read it and maybe give me some feedback. And you won the prize. uh, Yeah. So that must have been a big moment for you, as particularly as someone who had Mm. been so paralysed by Mm. perfectionism. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was was enormous. And was there still a huge amount of work to be done on it from that point? Did you have to work closely with the publisher or had you, because you'd been working with the mentor, you had managed to get it to a point where it was... No, there was still a fair bit of work to be done. Um, There was, I always seem to, in every book I write, I cram a complete other book inside it as well, (laughs) just with backstory and uh, so that all had to get taken out. But I worked with, and I remember the first book I worked with, Rob Cullinane, and he was just so good. And, I, you know, it was the first time I'd ever worked with an editor, and he was just wonderful at just making me feel, you know, relaxed and, like, all of the decisions to cut um, were my own. That's how he made me feel. Right. Yeah, which was helpful. And were you working... Um, at the time or were, like it, you had been at, at university, et cetera, were you now in a full-time job? Mm-hmm. Like are you, were you fitting writing in around other things yeah. at this stage? Yeah. So I was a shift, full-time shift worker. I was a nurse. I'm a nurse. So right. that's what I was doing for that first one. So how did you fit And, and most of in? the other ones too. <laughs> how, how did, did I fit how it How did in? you fit it in? Yeah. You were saying you're a shift worker, which makes it even more difficult. Yeah. I think actually it made it a bit easier because I could – you know, if you did a late shift, you know, which starts at two o'clock in the afternoon, you could kind of have the morning to write. Right. Yeah. Uh, I just always, I remember, I think the one thing that I learned from, from being at university was just making that time and turning up. And I used to just really be very strict and still am when I'm writing, that I have to, this week, you know, I know these are the times that I can write and I'm going to turn up. So even if that means I have to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to write for two hours. And, you know, at the time it doesn't feel like those little little moments are going to get you anywhere, but they do if you actually sort of turn up and do the work. All right. So now you've got your first book published and – so now there's, you know, everyone's going, okay, Karen, so what's your next thing going to be? Um, you've mm. also started winning awards, you know, pretty much straight out of the gate for that first mm. novel, Anatomy <laughs> yeah. of Wings. So I'm just yeah. wondering what kind of pressure that might have brought to, to bear for you writing your next novel. Like given your process is so, you know, yeah, it was Absolutely. Yeah, it was horrific was <laughs> to it? put it bluntly because – I, I can remember being feeling quite cocky in the beginning, like after that first one was out, I'm like, this will be a piece of cake. I'm just going to knock one of these out because I felt, you know, I knew what to not do anyway. And I off I went and just I couldn't, I couldn't write. Nothing, nothing worked. And 
I suddenly had this concept of the audience, which I had never, ever had before. So mm. I just felt really uh, paralyzed again. It was kind of, you know, every word I typed, I felt like, well, someone's going to read that. Whereas, you know, with the anatomy of wings, as, as much as it was messy, I never really thought of anyone reading it. Mm. So now that was a whole new issue with that, mm. with that next one. But so that went on and on for a quarter. And plus I had a baby. Mm. So, um, as the contract, there was a, a two book deal overseas in the States. And, and I was signing the contracts for that with a, like a, a one week old baby and, you know, with, um, with deadlines. And, and of course, it just, that just compounded it all. So after a couple of years of, uh, I had the idea for the Midnight Dress, which did eventually become my second novel. Uh, after a couple of years, I just really, um, I had to just, just really try and forget about the audience and write for myself again, which was was quite a process. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm. Was it? Did you approach it in the same way? The second book, in the sense of did you did you have those you know those snippets, those bits, those yeah, you know, bits snippets. and pieces? All it over was the, place? the same. Oh wow! It was the same all over again, and <sighs> it was yeah. But in a way, if anything, I'd gotten better at kind of pulling them together. And uh, I think the the thing with the second one too was that I'd actually uh, given it to my uh, publisher and they, after a year of writing it, uh, and they kind of didn't like it at all. Mm. So that was really, I remember just being devastated and, and, uh, but it was also really, really good for me as well. And everything that was said to me in that rejection um, was perfectly legit, you know. So I did, it was a really big turning point in that decision that I had to, if I wanted to write, I had to just, I did have to write for myself and I had to please myself. So mm. I actually secretly went away and started writing Celia as a Marvelous Boy, oh. and through, which is my third novel. Mm. And so through that writing, I kind of really discovered sort of the joy of writing again and then I could go back and complete the midnight dress and right. eventually. Okay. But that was like over a period of five years between yeah. my first and, and, and my second and third book. It's a long time in publishing, mm. isn't it? <laughs> mm, really so, long time. <laughs> I think um, they thought I was gone. <laughs> good. I yeah. saw um I saw an Instagram post yesterday, uh, which was a picture of your daughter with a box of, a box of your latest book, um, Lenny's book of mm. everything, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, and in that, you actually talked about writing as a single parent. Um, and I'm just wondering mm. what you thought. Like, what is the was the most difficult aspect of that? Like you said, you had this young baby, and I know how difficult it is to write around young children because I have. You know, have done that, been there, done that. Um, mm, but I'm just wondering mm. if the challenges of that have changed as your daughter has grown, or if it's you know, have things got easier, or you know, I, the, I did love that post because there, there she was at all the different mm. stages with different books. Yeah, so it was lovely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that it does change with every age. I just remember in those that the very early, like 
drafts of the midnight dress when I felt that I was getting nowhere. I can remember just thinking at this rate of a couple sentences here and there, you know, this it'll be decades before I finish this book. <laughs> so I it did it did. It felt like I moved at this terribly slow pace and you know, if you're creative person as you know you know you need you actually like you crave that that space where you can be creative so and I could never get to it and mm. uh, so there was a lot of guilt as well involved because not only did uh, you know I wanted to be a good mother but I also wanted to have that part of me as well mm. and I think uh I can just remember when she was really little, just still trying to make time to to write, and and it became that I had to kind of. It sounds terrible, but you know, Alice was kind of trained from early that when I was writing, she would come into bed beside me because I'd get up really early in the morning to do it, and it would, you know, I think of back at now of it so fondly now that she would come in, she would climb into bed and she would know that just to lie beside me and sometimes she would talk quietly or play, but I would be writing. Mm. And uh, you know, just sentence by sentence those stories did grow, even though it felt like I was moving really slowly. At least it's my main memory of it. Yeah, that's right. And I always say that to people you know, that are in the same boat, just it doesn't, you know, books are made, novels are made from sentences and you just have to lay them down and eventually it might feel like you're getting nowhere but you will get somewhere. Mm. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, really true. And, I need to and then the today. other thing is, which I wish that I had done though, and I, and I often say this to people too, when I, you know, meet writers, aspiring writers, be really um, good to yourself. You know, I wrote the midnight dress, and I didn't even give myself a pat on the back. I just moved on to the next thing, and I just wish I'd celebrated what I'd actually done then a bit more. Yeah. Uh, so, which is kind of what that post was about last night. Just yeah. amazing, and I couldn't have done it without Alice. You know, she kind of helped me in so many ways but you know be proud of your achievements as well however small they are so true (laughs) um so let's talk about your new book lenny's book of everything which brings Mm. a lot of hype there's a lot of hype around this book a lot Mm. of publishing industry Mm. excitement is that a Mm. strange feeling as a writer uh yeah yeah it is a strange (laughs) feeling and and it's i think the thing is, with this with this one though, there just seems to be so much love for it. Mm. That's it. Sort of blows me away, and and I get so many lovely messages just out of the blue from pre-readers that mm. have, you know, just fallen in love with those characters who I absolutely adore, and I, that's why I'm so excited that it's out in the world. Uh, and and more people will get to meet Lenny and Davy, but yeah, it's 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 different. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about the book and where the idea for it came from? 
Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Lenny's Book of Everything, it's basically the story of Davy Spink, who's a boy uh, living in the 1970s in a city called Greyford in Ohio in the States. And uh, he's a boy who grows and grows and grows. So from around his fifth birthday, he starts to grow taller and taller and taller. And uh, till the time he's, you know, nearly seven, he's as tall as a man. And his story is told by his sister, Lenny, who's uh, a beautiful character, a young girl who loves beetles. She's a bit feisty. And uh, the pair of them, they live in this tiny apartment with their single mother who works two jobs to support them, overlooking a Greyhound bus stop and uh, there's a crazy cast of characters that support them. There's Mrs. Gasper across the hallway who's a Hungarian with a beehive and drawn on eyebrows and Lenny's best friend CJ. And there's also an encyclopedia set uh, that arrives and it, Mrs. Spinks entered a competition when Davy's about five, so just about the time he starts to grow and it's a competition to win an encyclopedia set, but it's not just any encyclopedia set. It's a builder at home encyclopedia set and it arrives issue by issue uh, to their door and they have to put these issues together into volume covers. And through these pages, Lenny and David just really experience the wonders of the world and because they're in this, this tiny apartment, Davy turns out has an illness that's causing him to grow and grow and grow. Their dad's up and left and they really escape into these pages. So it's a story really about loss and love and big dreams and uh, just about how amazing it is to be alive, basically, So is what I was wanted to do. Where did... Where did it come from? Did it start with Lenny? Did it start with Davy? Did it, you know? No, that's a good story. It didn't start. Lenny had nothing to do with it. About 10 years ago, I had a, a really weird idea, a collection of ideas, uh, which one was for a boy that uh, was growing and growing, you know, who could not stop growing taller and taller. And also for an encyclopedia set. So it was this strange little collection of ideas. And I don't know particularly, I think with the boy who kept growing and growing, that was I wanted to write about being different. And the encyclopedia set came from a memory from when I was a child. So I started to try and write that. But it was I think it was one of those ones that I tried after the anatomy of Winks and it just didn't work at all. So I crumpled it up and threw it away into the back of my head and just didn't really think about it again. And it wasn't until I was doing the edits of A Most Magical Girl that all of the sudden, for some reason, that story just uncrumpled and wanted to be told. And uh, it jumped to the, the, you know, the top of the queue in my head of stories and usually my queue of stories is very orderly and it really was just at me all the time. Everything will be all right if you write this story and when I finally got there, Lenny was waiting. So this character, Lenny Spink, and she, you know, 
said the words that opened that novel, that stayed the opening lines. And I thought, well, this is going to be all right, I think. And it, and she was just ready to tell that story of her brother Davy and the encyclopedia set and everything else that, that went along with that. So every review that I have read of this book suggests mm. tissues, tissues and more tissues, Karen. So mm. <laughs> I'm mm. suspecting that it's, you know, it's uh, described as heartwarming and heartbreaking and all the things all at once. Yeah. How do you approach writing difficult, like sadness, difficult themes and mm. subjects for younger readers? Like uh, is this a case where you're aware of your reader the whole time or is this a case where you put them aside, write the story and then hope for the best? Yeah, I think um, it sounds self, really selfish but I do. I just... I want to write a story that pleases me and mm. sometimes I think about pleasing the child in me, like what kind of stories I loved as a child uh, and it's more about the kind of puzzle of the story and putting it all together so that it's kind of got that beating heart and and making it beautiful more than anything. So, you know, as the more I wrote this one, you know, it was going to be sad, but it was also filled with so much wonder as well. And mm. and it, it did feel at times the issues and themes seemed really big. And I remember saying to Anna McFarlane, my publisher, it was like I was trying to fit the universe in a shoebox. <laughs> there was just... <laughs> It was so big. Everything seems bigger. And I often get to a stage in most of my stories where it feels too big, but this one felt particularly big, but I just stayed with Lenny and her voice and it really just seemed to help me be able to tell that story. And I and I must say with this one, it was more linear than anything else that I've ever written. So I don't know what changed, but I it wasn't so puddly. I had a very clear sense of what I was doing. That must have been good. a nice feeling. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. Um, all of your novels um, for children have that certain, as you said, universe in a shoebox kind of beautiful, whimsical mm. thing through them, thread through them. Where does that come from? Is it, is it this notion of writing stories to please your inner child, do you think, that allows you to tap so. that in? I think so. I just, I, I have no idea. I think that's what it is. And, you know, with Ophelia and the Marvelous Boy, I can remember it was so multi-layered and, and trying to keep a, a handle on all of that and make it all the pieces fit together. It's kind of like solving a puzzle. But I think that whole adventure but with, with layers is the kind of thing I would have loved. Yeah. And and still love. So and playing with time and uh, yeah, I, yeah, it's all about me. I just want to <laughs> please myself, basically. How many drafts do you do to bring all of those layers and solving of puzzles and things like that together? Like on average, what how many drafts mm. does it take? to get to something that you go, okay, I can take this to a publisher? Oh, probably 
Well, it would be well over 10. Wow. It would be in the teens usually. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot of drafting, yeah. isn't it? And, and I usually know, like I know when I'm at a point that I can't see anymore what's yeah. going wrong with this. You know, it's all, I'm really wallowing around now. So I think it's time to hand it over. Yeah. And, and it's just a gut feeling, I think. When you hand something over, that it's 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 ready to go. Yeah. All right. Switching mm-hmm. gears a little. Um, what sort of mm-hmm. things do you do to promote your work? Do you have? To, are you doing author tours? Are you doing school visits? Are you doing online stuff? Like, what kinds of things do you do to actually, you know, um, support yourself. your work out uh, there in the world? Yeah. Uh, I did. I do a lot of school visits. Yeah. I actually had most of this year off and that will all start again, hopefully. Uh, but with Ophelia and A Most Magical Girl, just was absolutely learnt so much because, you know, my first two books for children and just suddenly was out there in schools and just absolutely adored <laughs> the experience and would come away feeling like I'd been hit by a truck, but also really energised as well, strangely. And I just with a sense, you know, of of talking with kids, you know, I just love talking with kids about creativity and and hearing about their amazing story ideas. So I do a lot of that. Uh, I think there's some festivals for next year. And, And then I just try and try. I find it quite difficult, but to keep a Facebook page and Instagram and, and yeah. those kind of things. Yeah. It's not something you enjoy, though, yeah. that online stuff? Well, I feel I just, oh, I don't, I don't know. It just, I, I don't, I liked last night when I can just show a little bit of myself, but I don't like selling. Yeah, you yeah. You know, just trying to sell a product. I'd rather just have a conversation I guess that's the best approach anyway if that makes sense yeah (laughs) it does all right um we're going to finish up today um with your top three tips for aspiring authors what have you got for us Mm -hmm. Karen Mm. well my main tip and this is the one that I live by and it, it actually is from a very uh famous book from a very lovely author, Douglas Adams, and it's the words, don't panic. (laughs) And I live by those words because there are so many times when I feel that I could absolutely lose it and never pick up a pen again. So Mm. it's don't panic. I I tell myself that all the time when you don't know where a story's going. Don't panic. Just write, you know, just turn up and write something. Number two, back yourself, you know, just suspend. I think that was was my first novel. It it was, what is the saying? Um, Just, it's such a cliche, believe in yourself, but suspend the disbelief in yourself. Just, you are a writer, you know, and I always thought, I used to think everyone who was a real writer knew what they were doing and it's just not the case. No. You know, we're all just trying to tell a story 
and and that's the journey of being a writer. And number three would be turn up and make time. And I think you have to treat it in many ways like a job. You have to say, I'm going to be here at that laptop at this time. And a lot of those times you turn up, it's so mundane and it's the stuff that comes out is hideous and boring and it feels like ugly writing. But in amongst all that, the magic happens. And it'll only happen if you turn up. It's so true. So So very true. Thank you so much, Karen Foxley. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, And, of course, if you would like to learn more about Karen's work and her books, you will find her at karenfoxley.com. And um, go and have a look because I've got Lenny's book of everything here and I've started reading it and I love her voice. I think she's a wonderful, wonderful character. So, um, best of luck with it all. I think it's going to go Thank gangbusters. Thank you. Thanks, Alison. Great. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. There you go, Karen Floxley. That's a great in- – did I just say Floxley? Karen You, you actually Floxley. literally said Floxley. <laughs> And I was Karen just going to let it go because I thought, Foxley. you know, everyone will understand. It was just a trip of the tongue. But no, I, you've drawn attention no, to it. No coffee yet. No coffee yet. So, um, yeah, very cool interview. Very cool interview. Now, let's move on. Al, you're doing something pretty exciting this weekend. I am. I am going to be appearing at the Wollongong Writers' Festival as part of their children's program this Saturday at McCabe Park in Wollongong. And I can't remember what time, so I can't be of any use to anybody with regards (laughs) to that. Um, But I will put the link to the program in the show notes and that will probably uh, prompt everyone. But I'd love to see you there if you happen to be in the area, Mm. Wollongong Writers' Festival. I think Sue Whiting is also on the program that day, so that'll be great because she's a fantastic presenter. And yes. um, a whole bunch of other, you know, terrific local writers. So, um, yeah. If what are you talking about? I am talking about, well, I've been asked to do a reading and we talked recently about the reading yeah. situation. Um, so, originally I was going to be doing two half-hour sessions, one an author reading and one a, a little writer's workshop, but they've put me all in one hour, which is way better for me because it just mm. means that I can basically – pull out my usual shtick and do, um, I'm going to be talking about ideas, where ideas come from, what to do with them. And there'll be obviously like the basics of storytelling in there for kids. So, you know, bring the kids down and let's, you know, let's talk about writing. I think it's, it'll be heaps of fun. Very, very exciting. Go see Al. <laughs> mm, go see Al. Please do. Yes. And of course I'll be signing books. So, you know, yes. Christmas is coming people. Come and get your books Definitely. signed for Christmas. Yeah, 
Awesome. And also a big shout out for other Al fans, uh, especially if your kid is an Al fan, <laughs> that is, <laughs> of Al's books, is to make sure you check out Alison's fantastic course, The Creative Writing Quest for Kids, because in that course, Alison, through videos, leads your child through writing their very own story, as in a whole story like a short story from beginning to end. And at the end, Alison will give you feedback, will give your child feedback um, on their story via video. So that is a pretty exciting course. Go to writerscenter.com.au slash quest to find out more. All right, where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontate.com. You will find me on Twitter at at Al Tate and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and at ValerieKoo.com. But uh, you'll find both of us in the podcast community on Facebook. Just yes. search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.